everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name is Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing pretty well. The other day I was thinking about writing, because that's my favorite way to avoid doing writing. So I was thinking about how in future genre fiction that's set in the present, I wonder what titles they're going to give to bad guys that will instantly let you know that they're bad guys. Like, if you're watching something that's set in, like, olden times, if somebody has Baron in front of their name, then you're like, oh, shit, that guy's a bad guy. Or Grand Vizier. Then you're like, basically just a musical sting drops right then. But I was wondering what titles that people have now will have a similar effect when people read it in the future. I mean, Senator's an obvious one, and I think that'll stick, and we're already seeing that used some. In part, it's got a nice throwback to ancient Rome, but it's the right position of power, where it's powerful but still aspirational to greater power. I think the obvious choice would be Vice President, but I worry that that might be a little bit too on the nose. I mean, it's got the word vice right in it. It's not like you read medieval stuff and there's a character that's called like, oh, Sin Duke Gregory. It's like, oh, well, yeah, of course, it's got the, it's got the evil right in front of it. So I think vice president is probably not going to be the one. My guess? Yes, senator, obviously established. District manager or regional district manager. Oh, you can just hear the evil dripping off of that one. Yeah. Well, solved it. So, without any further ado, let's uh do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Jeff, who co-hosts the delightful Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack podcast, which you guys should all check out. It's very good. You want a synopsis? Here's a hypothesis. I want to see the Hulk fight a Greek god like Dionysus. Or maybe the Kraken. You know his strength won't slacken. Want to challenge him? Step up, end up in traction. Thanks, Jeff. Couple things about that. You did acknowledge that it was a deliberate mispronunciation of Dionysius, which I appreciate. Also, fight between the Hulk and Dionysus wouldn't be a great fight. I mean, I get that he's a Greek god, but he's not really known for his uh, physical prowess in battle. That being said, synopsis rhymes are more than welcome to, and in fact are encouraged to, not make a ton of sense, have very forced rhymes, or maybe even rhymes that don't really work. And that is totally chill. However, and I've never made this clear before, which, you know, this is a teaching moment. In general, they do have to end with the word synopsis. Why? I have no idea. It's an arbitrary rule that I made when I started doing them myself. I think mostly it's just because I came up with like 30 rhymes for synopsis that ended a rhyme and it was a huge pain in the butt. And so then it just kind of became a fixation that that's the way they have to go. So I really appreciate people sending them in. For whatever reason, I have a rule about it. They do have to end with the word synopsis. All that being said, thanks, Jeff. And you should totally check out his podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. It's good. 
Defenders, number 31, January 1976. Nighthawk's Brain. Written by Steve Gerber, drotted by Sal Buscema, inked by Jim Mooney, lettered by Ray Holloway, colored by Petra Goldberg, and edited by Marv Wolfman. Defensive lineup. Valkyrie, Doctor Strange, Nighthawk, The Incredible Hulk. Previously in the Defenders. Billionaire duel bird enthusiast Kyle Richmond, a.k.a. Nighthawk, was in a semi-serious relationship with a beautiful fashion model slash musician slash artist slash engineer named Trish Starr. The pretty polymath was objectively way too good for a dipshit like Kyle, but they both seemed willing to overlook that fact. Things ended abruptly when Trish's supervillain uncle put a car bomb in Kyle's limousine. In the resulting explosion, Trish lost her arm. Fearing that Kyle would never truly love a woman who was now unable to drive a stick shift, Miss Starr ended her amorous alliance with the affluent avian aficionado and left town. Bummer! Shortly before the explosion, the defenders had run afoul of a team of criminal assholes who called themselves the Headmen, on account of they all had weird heads. Dr. Jerry Morgan had a melty face and looked like Pizza the Hut from Spaceballs. Dr. Arthur Nagin had a human head on a gorilla body, and Chandu the Mystic was... bald! And sometimes he wore a turban! What a strange team of equally weird-headed villainous jerks! And speaking of jerks, after inadvertently joining the Defenders on a mission by stowing away on a time-traveling spaceship, Jack Norris, the estranged husband of Barbara Denton, the woman whose body the sorcerously created Valkyrie now inhabits, came to a startling realization. That he was a total asshole. Hooray! After his eureka moment of stunning self-awareness, Jack vowed to be more supportive of the Defenders and to respect Valkyrie's autonomy and recognize that she was no longer the woman to whom he was once married. Oh, and also, an elf with a gun named Elf with a Gun shot a guy who looked like John Denver and his wife who may or may not have been an inflatable doll. Gadzooks! How will Jack demonstrate his newfound resolution to abandon his assholiness and respect Val's boundaries? Will Chandu undergo some kind of voluntary head trauma to better match his team's motif? And how will Kyle deal with his misplaced guilt over the explosion that left Trish Star less than limbful? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so by acting like an asshole and not respecting Val's boundaries, damn it, Jack. Sort of. And by flying headfirst into a tree. Nighthawk is having a nightmare. First, the other defenders turn their backs on him. Then, he is grabbed by a giant hand and dropped into an explosion. He is sucked into a vortex of light and sound, and when the disoriented defender emerges, he is greeted by an image of his rad ex-girlfriend, Trish Starr. He attempts to rescue the amputee ingenue who seems to be walking into the ocean, but he is grabbed from behind by Trish's own disembodied hand. The hallucinating hero is sent sprawling and flies headfirst into a tree in the middle of Central Park. Oops! Turns out the adult aviator had been flying around the city this whole time in some kind of a waking dream. The seemingly somnambulant superhero makes a valiant effort to regain his composure, but is still pretty groggy when he is shot with a stun gun from off-panel, by someone whose appearance Kyle finds both familiar and startling. Hmm... Speaking of things that I find disturbing and inexplicable, Valkyrie is out on a date with allegedly reformed asshole Jack Norris. The connubially complicated couple are at the amusement park on Coney Island. Val is stranger in a strange landing it up delightfully, 
pointing out the illogical and mildly distasteful nature of the boardwalk games that the carnival barkers are offering. When Jack presents her with a stuffed bunny he just wanted a shooting game, she's like, First of all, I'm not a huge fan of representational art, and B, weapons are serious business and shouldn't be used in games, but I thank you for the rabbit, I guess. Getting frustrated at Val's unfamiliarity with Midgard, asterisk, Earth's, customs, Jack tries his hand at one of the strongman games where you hit a platform with a giant hammer and try to ring a bell. Having learned nothing from the events of a few seconds ago, Jack presents Val the bear he has just won. The sorcery Scandinavian swordslinger is once again underwhelmed by the proffered plushie. However, wishing to be a good sport, Valkyrie asks the smirking carny who runs the game if she can have a turn. She hits the device with the hammer so hard that it smashes into smithereens. Hooray! Val politely asks for the stuffed toy she believes she has earned, but Jack must have thought he heard somebody yell, Hey Rube! because he grabs her arm and tries to insist that they flee the inevitable wrath of the carnies. Man, I know the Star Wars prequels get a lot of shit, but I thought Wrath of the Carnies was a pretty good movie. Once they have escaped the carnival barkers and their implied threat of straw-hatted justice, Jack tries to go back to his old ways of insisting that deep down, Val is his wife, and therefore he is entitled to her familiarity and affection. Val shuts that shit down pretty quick and is like, Nope! I'm living in Barbara Denton's body, but I'm not her. I am the dope avatar of the concept of feminism. Deal with it. You seem like less of an asshole than you used to be, and I'm kinda into you. But that's as far as it goes. Nice. Good for you, Val. Naturally, Jack tries to call his good buddy false equivalency into the conversation, and basically says, Look, let's compromise. I'll try to see that your experiences and opinions are valid if you try to see that no, they aren't. What could be more fair than that? Damn it, Jack. This is you being less of an asshole? Fuck you. Meanwhile, in the Ozarks of southern Missouri, the Hulk is visiting a forest game reserve where hunting is prohibited. With a look of wide-eyed innocence, the gentle jade giant watches a mother deer and her young fawn drink from a stream. The look on the Hulk's face is fucking adorable. Then some drunk hunters show up and shoot the mother deer, right in front of the sign that says, Hey, don't shoot the deer. So the Hulk murders the hunters. Hooray! Seriously, I'm pretty sure those dudes are dead. He threw one of them across a lake headfirst into a tree, and he wrapped a rifle barrel around the other dude's neck. And those are just regular dudes who don't even have the strength of two strong men. So... They're pretty definitively unalive at this point. As I said, hooray! This is why you always read signs. Once the sign-ignoring jerks have been disposed of, a tearful hulk gathers the orphaned fawn in his mighty green arms, calls it Bambi, and tells it not to worry. Hulk will take Bambi to smart people who will tell him what to do. Aww. Then the green goliath leaps off, leaving the show-me state and two fresh corpses behind. Does anyone else think it's kind of funny that Missouri's state nickname is basically Missouri? We're pretty sure you're lying. Back in New York, the we don't have to show you shit state, Kyle regains consciousness and finds himself bound to an operating table and surrounded by three equally freakish looking individuals. One has a melty face, one has a gorilla body, and one is <gasps> bald. The horror. 
A discombobulated Kyle asks his captors, what gives? And Jerry, or Dr. Meltyface, answers, oh, we drugged you and tied you to a table. Fair enough. Dr. Gorilla Body continues, yeah, we're going to scoop our pal Chandu, or Baldo's, brain out and jam it into your body. Damn, dudes. I know they're still a few years away from perfecting hair plugs, but that seems a little extreme. Maybe the dude could just buy a wig. Kyle asks tenuously, Okay, what are you going to do with my brain? Dang, Kyle, that is a surprisingly pragmatic question given the circumstances, especially considering that you're heavily drugged right now. Dr. Gorilla Body kind of shrugs and is like, I don't know, probably just throw it in the trash or something, I guess. We cut briefly to Las Vegas. The introductory caption talks some shit about the Vegas Strip, which is fair, and indirectly talks some shit about Sammy Davis Jr., which is bullshit. Sammy Davis Jr. was fucking amazing. A portly middle-aged gentleman named Charles Wizzo Lester and his wife Frances are leaving a casino after Wizzo has just gambled away most of their money. As might be expected, the couple is bickering. They climb into a waiting taxi, which, much to Wizzo's surprise, rather than taking the Lesters to their hotel, parks around the corner in a deserted alley. When the taxi driver turns to face the confused vacationers, we see that what appeared to be the driver's head was really that of a mannequin, and that hiding underneath the duplicitous dummy's head was an elf. An elf with a gun. Elf with a gun shoots Wizzo and Francis. Several hours later, over the skies of Manhattan, the Hulk is leaping towards the Sanctum Sanctimonious, cradling his newly acquired baby deer in his arms. Guess who he bumps into? What? No, it's not Charles Nelson Riley, star of Love American Style. That's a terrible guess. I mean, it's vaguely era-appropriate, but Charles Nelson Riley couldn't fly. Well, okay, when he played the evil magician in the Croft Brothers show Lidsville, his character did fly around in a giant top hat that he called the Hattamaran. That's a good point. Okay, I concede it wasn't that bad a guess after all, but it's still not Charles Nelson Riley. It's Baldy himself, Chandu, taking his fancy new hair-having Kyle body out for a spin. Hulk understandably mistakes Kyle's body for Kyle and insists that his presumed non-teammate join him in his journey to Steve's house. Secretly, Chandu is delighted. Turns out, a big part of why the headmen wanted to scoop out Kyle's brain in the first place was so that he could lead them to other superheroes, who had maybe even slightly better powers than the strength of two strong men. I mean, if that's even possible. When the Emerald Animal Adopter and the counterfeit Kyle arrive at the Sanctum, Doctor Strange is using his mystical web browser for what he calls his recreation time. The Earth Sorcerer Supreme uses his magical might to create a tiny ghostly female form out of spectral flames. Then he makes a tiny ghostly male figure out of spectral flames. The two figures approach each other as Doctor Strange watches intently. Damn, Steve, you're nasty. Wong interrupts the recreation to inform his employer that guests have arrived. Steve reluctantly stops making his flame ghosts hump each other and greets his guests. Before Hulk gets a chance to entreat the good doctor for animal husbandry tips, Chandu slash Kyle interrupts and is like, Hey, you've got a lot of neat esoteric magical stuff in here that I totally recognize. Where did you get it? Steve is like, Oh, this stuff? I got it at the none of your business store. You should try going there sometime. I hear they're having a sale on Shut Up Kyle, and you seem to be fresh out of that. Now, 
How do you know the names of my cool magical stuff? Chandu makes a lame excuse, but Steve seems unconvinced. Then Valkyrie and Jack, still an asshole Norris, get back from their date. Hulk asks if Steve and Valkyrie can help him take care of his new baby deer. Chandu takes advantage of the distraction that Hulk being fucking adorable provides and casts a magical spell, paralyzing the defenders and freezing them in place. Steve is like, What the fuck, Nighthawk? Since when can you do magic? You can barely do not magic. Chandu replies, I'm not Nighthawk, and I'm super duper good at magic. I'm going to leave you paralyzed while I go get my two evil buddies, and then we're going to come back and do stuff to you. Evil stuff. Bye. Then he leaves. Creepy. As soon as not exactly Nighthawk is out the door, Steve makes a small gesture that turns off the field of paralysis and goes, That Kyle looking guy sucks at magic. Let's go beat him up and find out what he did to the real Kyle. The other defenders agree that that seems like a pretty good plan. Hulk tells the deer to stay put in the sanctum until they get back, and off they go. Our titular non-team soon catches up with the bogus bird enthusiast, who is shocked that they escaped his trap so easily. He's even more shocked when Steve zaps himself and the body-snatching bad guy to the cosmic plane so that the two practitioners of the mystic arts can have themselves a good old-fashioned wizard duel. Hooray! Chandu quickly realizes that he is fighting outside of his weight class, so he pops a special get-better-at-magic pill that his good buddy Dr. Meltyface made for him. The thing is, even with his performance-enhancing drugs, Steve just straight-up smacks the sorcerer's shit out of the dude in like a second. It's pretty rad. When he's done mystically wailing on the guy, Dr. Strange drags his unconscious body back to our plane of existence, where he meets the rest of his non-teammates on a rooftop. The gang decides to resolve the situation by going full-on Scooby-Doo, tugging Nighthawk's mask off and all but saying, Now let's see who you really are! Our heroes are shocked and confused when rather than a creepy old hermit who owns an abandoned water park, the unmasked culprit turns out to be... Kyle Richmond. At least it sure looks like him. A chagrined Stephen Strange turns to his equally unsettled teammates and says, Shit, I magicked him pretty hard, you guys. I think he might die. Sorry about that. To be continued. Man, I don't want to make Steve's day any worse than it already is, but I bet that deer shit all over his apartment. I mean, the Hulk was taking care of it for quite some time before he got back to the Sanctorum, so there's no way he wasn't feeding that thing beans. Ugh. And joining us once again for this special regular-sized comic book is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I am doing well. It is a beautiful day. The sky is blue. Things are good. Glad to hear it. What'd you think of this issue? I thought it was fun. I really liked it. It was weird and wacky and refreshing and strangely dark in places and very well executed all around. Agreed. I was especially tickled by Val and the Hulk in this issue. Mm -hmm. I was also tickled by Doctor Strange and the bad guys. Yes, I was happy to see, is it Negan and Jerry? I think of them as Arthur and Jerry. We have more informal relationship. Arthur, Jerry, and Chandu. Oh, Chandu, of course. <laughs> yeah, don't forget Chandu. Well, he's all mixed up. Indeed he is. Yeah. You ready to just get into the meat of this comic book? Let's get into the meat of this comic book. We talked about a few things that delighted us. Here's one thing that didn't. Fucking Jack Norris. Oh, foul. 
Look, she what? gets to make her own decisions. Why didn't you just kill him at that New Jersey Palisades? It seems like that would have been the more expedient course of action. You were right there. No witnesses. Easy body disposal. Oh, looks like he died in that time quake. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't have even had to have done anything. She could have just literally done nothing. He would have fallen. But she didn't. And a couple of issues ago, he made the startling decision that I've been a real asshole. I'm tired of being an asshole. I see what an asshole I've been. I'm not going to be an asshole anymore. Mm-hmm. And I tried to reserve judgment and see if he meant it. But no, he is back to being the exact same kind of asshole that he had been. She seems more patient with him than I would have expected her to be after all of this past garbage. Yeah, there is that. But he did show some courage, and I think she took him at face value when he said he was going to try to change. Unfortunately, he is making, like, my least favorite argument that you see, which is this false comparison that you see cropping up in a lot of arguments today. Like, well, hey, I'm coming at things from this opinion. You're coming at things from this opinion. Let's compromise. On face value, that seems very reasonable. But if the argument is along the lines of, look, your stance is that you are a human being who is entitled to her own thoughts and feelings. My stance is that you're not. Let's compromise. And you can just have... You're less of a human with less right to your own thoughts and opinions. That doesn't work. He comes very close to saying just like, I'm trying to see you as a person like you think you are. Why can't you try to see that you're not a person the way that I see things? Mm -hmm. It's bullshit. And it pisses me off. And I'm tired of Jack Norris. And I'm tired of his, look, I just want you to be my wife the way I want you to be. So that's what you'll be, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, this this false like, look, I'm trying to be reasonable. Why can't you meet me halfway on this? There are some things that you can't meet people halfway on and that it's not reasonable to expect them to. Yeah, that. And also he, despite his former, I'm going to be a good brave guy thing, runs away from the carnival when Val breaks the strength strength meter thing that you hit. I love that scene so much. <laughs> I get his response there. I would totally like, do that. Dude, but... terrified of carnies. Run. Like, I don't care if you have super strength. They have <laughs> special carny tricks. They yell, hey, Rube, and you're done for, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Val's response that she just proudly stands there after smashing the machine and says, if I understand the working of these games... You now owe me an animal. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So good. Yeah, it is frustrating to me that Val is apparently more forgiving of Jack than I wish he was. But the characterization and the portrayal of Val in this issue is really good and really strong and really consistent with her character. And she gets to make whatever romantic decisions she wants. She mentions that she is attracted to Jack Norris more than she would have thought beforehand based on her seeing him having some courage and some conviction in previous issues. Yep. And I appreciate the way that she goes about that, that she states all of this with a lot of assurance and assertiveness and is just like, I find myself attracted to you, so we will go on this date. Mm-hmm. Everything about the way she states herself and her character in this makes sense and resonates. That being said, poor choices, but I think we've all made poor romantic decisions in the past. 
Yep. Maybe once or twice. Maybe it's possible. Maybe <laughs> there was a certain winter where it was very cold. I didn't have heat in my apartment. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Val was delightful. Yep. Jack Norris was a piece of shit. Yep. As per usual. Yep. Let's talk about the Hulk. Oh, man. The look on his happy face when he's peering through those bushes looking at the deers. Oh, it was so endearing, but unfortunately, the way I read comics, I already knew that it was heartbreaking because you see the whole page mm -hmm. and you see what's coming, even if you try not to. Yeah. And he goes from being so delighted and beatific at seeing a mother deer and her child and then those asshole hunters... Kill the mother. Right in front of the no poaching sign, too. God damn it. You guys have to read signs. Blatant disregard for the rules. People need to read signs, Corey. Yeah. I have a theory that nobody reads signs and that the reason you print a sign at a place, this is certainly true in my place of work, the reason you print signs with rules on them is not so that people will read the signs and then obey the rules. It's so that after they don't read the signs and don't obey the rules, you get to point at the sign. Mm-hmm. That's like the entire point of a sign. Yeah. Is to point at the sign. That seems reasonable. I've seen I've seen it happen. Yeah. But man, those fucking hunters, they're drunk, they kill the mother and they're talking about they don't even want to eat the deer meat. What a waste. And speaking of waste, Hulk just straight up kills them, right? At least one of them. There's no way those guys aren't both dead. I read it like he killed them the at least the guy that he skipped across the pond like a rock into a tree. I don't see how you bend a shotgun around somebody's neck when you're the Hulk without killing them. And Page. as he does that, the the caption over it says breathless, because it's the series of... And then painless at the end, right? Like, he killed them quickly. Yeah. 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 I think it was maybe supposed to be saying that he knocked them unconscious. But from that chain of events, unless those hunters have superpowers, the Hulk just waded in and straight up murdered them. Mm -hmm. And frankly, good for him. There is a takeaway from this as well. And speaking of taking things away, mm. the Hulk takes away the baby deer with him because he takes pity on it. And he's like, I will take care of you, but recognizes that he doesn't have the tools at his disposal to do a good job taking care of that baby deer by himself. So he decides to go to Doctor Strange for help. He's a smart person. Mm -hmm. Which I think is fair. Reasonable. I think uh, Doctor Strange, perhaps a uh, high intelligence, low wisdom. Yeah, maybe not the best choice for baby deer caretaking. No. Well, especially seeing as he also runs into who he believes is Kyle on the way there. Mm -hmm. And also says that you're smart too. And man, Kyle would do a terrible job taking care of a baby deer. Well, you could probably hire somebody. Oh, he would totally just hire a nanny. Mm -hmm. But like not a deer nanny. No, just a regular just a regular one. one. <laughs> regular kind. <laughs> Although I don't have a lot of confidence that everybody in the Defenders wouldn't just say... Oh, a infant of some type? Valkyrie will take care of it. She is a woman. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that would be the default of all three of the male defenders at this point. Yeah, highly likely. Fortunately, we don't get to uh, see it go that far. It's, no. Everybody's just like, oh shit, we're busy. You stay here, dear, and have the run of the place. No, uh, poor Wong. Oh, uh, that's Wong has to deal with it. I did also enjoy that at one point, Jack Norris said like, oh no, who took him to a movie when he's calling uh, the little deer Bambi? Mm-hmm. Jack gets an o a couple of okay one-liners in here. Still an asshole. I will not forgive his behavior. Nope, nor should you. The Hulk is just a goddamn delight. 
You know who else I found to be a delight in this issue, although certainly not in the same way as the Hulk? Doctor Strange. He was true to character, I believe, in this. Steve was turned up to 11 in this issue, both in terms of his powers, definitely in his element in a mystical duel, mm -hmm. and really seeing this guy who we have seen be a fairly powerful mystic in the past be really nothing more than a nuisance, an annoyance to him. Mm -hmm. And, like, the guy totally trying to amp up his game at every stage and be like, no, we're on the same level. And Steve was like, mm, no, sorry. And that was really fun, but also Steve's steeviness was turned up to 11. Yeah, very Stevie. I think maybe my favorite scene in this is when Hulk and Shandu slash Nighthawk arrive at the Sanctorum. Mm -hmm. And Wong comes in, tells Steve he has guests. Yeah. What is Steve doing? Well, he's enjoying his recreational time. And he's I... like, guests always arrive during my recreational time. And what he is doing, as near as I can tell, is he is making some flame ghosts about to fuck. At first, I was like, oh, he's got like, it's like Street Fighter. Like he's playing a little video game. But then I thought about it a little bit more. And I was like, nope, it's... that looks like a sexy time. Yeah, there is about to, there's like, <laughs> about to go the, down. Yeah a spectral tiny human torch and his female equivalent, he is making them go towards each other and, like, it looks like it is time to take a little visit to the Bone Zone. The Trombone Enthusiast website? Yes! <laughs> Which is strangely erotic. Yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've made so many jokes about Steve, like, using the Eye of Agamotto as, like, a mystical web browser. Mm-hmm. Confirmed! <laughs> Absolutely! There is a lot about Steve's character that is confirmed in this issue that we have made jokes about in the past. Yep. And that is perhaps my favorite, is that he creates mystic pornography for himself when he thinks no one else is around. And is just like, Wong, I am never to be disturbed during my recreational time. I am making these flame ghosts fuck. Dismissed! Mm -hmm. Poor Wong, here. It's like, he just comes in and averts his eyes. Yeah, it's like, like, uh... Again... Oh, Steve. Your guests are here. Yeah, <laughs> You're gonna need a minute? What a shitty job sometimes. <laughs> yeah, probably more than sometimes, man. Poor Wong. Oy. But yeah, in addition to that, Steve susses out that something's up with Nighthawk pretty quick. Because Shandu is not exactly a cloak and dagger expert. No, no, and he's he's fondling, not fond. Well, he's kind of fondling. He's kind of fondling. Yeah, he finds this gargoyle and it's just like, oh, this is a pre- cataclysmic statue of the demon Montauk, I presume. And... He probably says it like that, too. Like, he doesn't bother to use Kyle's voice. Yeah. Well, I think he would have Kyle's voice because he is fully in Kyle's body. Yeah, but it, but it's modulated as Chandu. Oh, totally. Yeah, he's using his Chandu tones. Yeah. Which is probably like a wannabe Steve. Like, kind of like what you did. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's like a wannabe Steve. He's oh. not quite Steve, but he's, he's trying. But yeah, says that, and Steve's response I loved... Oh, I didn't know you knew about that shit. And Chandu kind of realizes that he made a mistake and is like, Oh, I probably read about that in National Geographic. And Steve's response is just, Really? Yeah. It did. It came across very incredulous. Like, he knew something was up. And then Chandu tries to put all of the defenders in a mystical paralysis field, the way we've seen Steve do a million times. And then he's like, Ha ha! All done. And then as soon as he leaves, Steve's like, okay, we can go now. Yep. 
I wonder why he waited that second. Why not just cut him off there? It wasn't like they had to follow him to another destination, which I thought was what they were doing. That they're like, oh, we'll follow him, see where he's headed. They're just like, well, let's let him leave. And then let's go catch him immediately. I had that same observation. So I was like, okay, they're going to follow them back to the their criminal lair to just save time. But nope. They, like, get him a little bit of a head start. Right. And then they're like, halt! For no reason! <laughs> so I think maybe that is just Steve fucking with him. Uh, That's the context that that makes the most sense in. I think perhaps the plan had initially been, from a writing standpoint, we'll have them follow him back to his lair. But then they're like, well, we're not ready for that yet. So, yeah, big mystical battle with Steve and Kyle slash Chandu erupts, and Steve just basically smacks the shit out of Nighthawk repeatedly. It's bad. It's great. It was fun to see. Yeah, it's nice to see how good at his job Steve is. For all of the shit that he talks, and as much of a dipshit as he is in a lot of ways, I like that he's really good at that one thing. It's a good magician. Yeah. Shitty boyfriend, good magician. Let's talk about the bad guys in this issue. Okay. We are once again treated to, to a visit from the headmen, who are called that because they all have weird shit going on with their heads. We get Art Nagin, who I called Dr. Gorilla Body, because he's fair. got a gorilla body yep. and a human head on it, yep. because he used to experiment on gorillas, and then the gorillas decided to cut his head off and put it on a gorilla body. Fair enough, Tough but I guess. Fair. Tough but confusing, really, more than anything else. Yeah. Then we get Jerry Morgan, who I call Dr. Melty Face. He's got a gross face. He's got a gross face that, once again, doesn't really make sense. We find out that he has a gross Melty Face because he was experimenting with a shrinking serum, and it just shrunk his bones, which I guess makes you look like you've got a Melty Face. Mm. Doesn't seem like that would be the way that shit would work, but... Hey, I'm not in charge of Jerry's shit. <laughs> and then we have Chandu. Is it Chandu the Mystic? He's got some kind of a title. He's got a turban. Yeah, he's got a turban. So we've got a guy with a melty face. So his head is weird in that way. We've got a guy who has a human head on a gorilla body. So his head is weird that way. And then we have Chandu who has a turban. Yeah, not great really. Nope. <laughs> but... Now Chandu has a head weird in another way, in that it has a Kyle brain in it, presumably. I don't think they put Kyle's brain in Chandu's body. I think they just put it. They just put in it off to one side, or a box or something. Yeah. Or possibly just threw it out. Yeah, I bet it's in like a shoe box. They said they were maybe gonna throw it out. They said if they couldn't figure out something to do with it, it mm -hmm. gave the impression that they're at least gonna give themselves like. A little while to figure out if they can maybe get some kind of resale value on it. Or yeah. just like, they're like, what happens if we put this in a turtle or a dog? Corey? Yeah. You are surprisingly close to what happens in the future. Oh, no. No spoilers, <laughs> but weird shit goes down. But yeah, at this point, Chandu's brain is in Kyle's body. And it is kind of bonkers to me that Chandu doesn't really seem to have any objections to this plan. I understand wanting to do some kind of a mind transference thing, but to have actual surgery to have your brain put in another dude's body and just have your body set aside, that seems terrifying. Well, yeah, was he sick or something? Or No, they just wanted no, to find he was the defenders. Fine. I mean, gotta be nice to have the strength of two strong men half the time. Mm. Yeah. And <laughs> so, I mean, like, cumulatively, you have the strength of one and a half dudes. Mm. Pretty good. 
better than just one. Yeah. Regular dude. Yeah. You got a real cop and a half situation. Cop and a half? Yeah, the Burt Reynolds uh, movie. Well, I didn't see it. Oh, Corey. Is it a, did I miss a good one? I'm assuming. I haven't seen it either. Oh. <laughs> but I'm still disappointed in you. Wait, is it is it a kid or a... Yeah, it's a little kid. Okay. It's not just like a guy who got sawed in half. Or just like a guy who's half cop like a, and half horse. Just like wears, a centaur. <laughs> just wears a cop shirt and like regular... Regular pants. slacks. Yeah. <laughs> well, that guy's half a cop. Running shoes. Yeah. Or a guy whose dad's a cop. So he's like uh, half cop on his father's side. Yeah. These are just some of the ways a man could be half a cop. Mm-hmm. In the context of the Burt Reynolds movie, it is a little kid. Okay. Yeah. Um... What were we talking about? Uh, the headman. Oh, yeah, Chandu. Not being freaked out at being put in Kyle's body. We do see that Chandu says that he is in a younger body. So I guess maybe he was just like, Meh, I'm starting to get a little older. Might be nice to put on a new flesh suit. Trade, 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 trade You're up. distracted by the phrase flesh suit. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, that's, <laughs> that's fair. That's pretty gross. Yeah, but so is the whole process. Although, I must say, Mind transference, we see a lot of in comic books. It doesn't give me the same, like, oh, this is goofy feeling as literal brain transfer does. And literal brain transfer, especially coupled with the idea that they're just kind of hucking Kyle's brain into the corner, real good. Also done by a gorilla body with a human head. Right. And Dr. Melty Face. And every time the headmen refer to each other as Arthur and Jerry, it really cracks me up. Like an old married couple. Yeah. The issue starts off with Kyle having a terrifying waking nightmare that I think is the result of Chandu assaulting his mind mystically for a minute and making him kind of pass out and he ends up flying into a tree, which is kind of funny. But the dream sequence slash nightmare slash waking nightmare that he has to open it up is so good. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the things that Steve Gerber does really well is write dream logic and delirium and conveying a feeling of creeping madness. It's something that he does in Howard the Duck a few times. I think it comes up in Man-Thing, but this is the first we've seen it in The Defenders, and it's good. It's, like, really creepy, and it really does manage to convey the ideas of dream logic and having a larger metaphor within it of he's freaked out that Trish... Star's arm got blown up while they were hanging out together, and so this phantom arm is attacking him as he's trying to go towards this ethereal image of Trish, and he ends up having to dive deeper into the explosion that they came out of. But it really does convey the feeling that, like, he doesn't have full control over what's happening, but is compelled to react in a certain way, and it's... It's just really good and creepy, and the art matches it really well, and it was nice to see. It was like a pie not made out of steel. Mmm, and that it terrified you. And I liked it. Oh, that's right, you're not a pie phobe Nope. Thank goodness. So there's one more thing we gotta talk about. What's that? Well, I'll give you a hint. He's an elf, and he's got a gun. Oh, elf with a gun is back. He sure is. Why? <laughs> I have no idea. And why does he hide inside the dummy jack-in-the-box body of uh, Erstat's taxi driver? What else would an elf with a gun do? Wait, didn't he pop out of a jack-in-the-box the the first time we saw him? 
No, he just knocked on the door. You are completely making up any kind of a jack-in-the-box thing. Wait, that didn't happen in this issue also? Nope. Whoa. Okay, so there's the taxi that... <laughs> He's hiding inside name? a taxi driver, and the head falls off of the mannequin of the taxi driver. But it's not there's, on a spring or anything? No. It makes a... Well, we'll get to it later, but it makes a noise that makes it seem like that might be the case. Mm -hmm. But I don't think there's any real kind of jack-in-the-box situation happening. And in his only previous appearance, he just knocked on a trailer door. And when they answered the door, he shot the person. That's Who looked like John Denver. Oh, and the... And his blow-up doll companion. Yeah, okay. This time, it is Wizzo. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to look up his full name, but Wizzo his nickname is Wizzo. Yeah. Yeah, I get the sense that Gerber doesn't think very highly of Las Vegas. It seems like he's got a real problem with Las Vegas, but he definitely has a problem with Charles Wizzo Lester, and also has a problem with developing female characters because we just get that it's Charles Wizzo Lester and his wife. I feel like we should get her name. She we should do, have a nickname too. When we read down later, we do see that Elf with a Gun knows her name, and it's Francis, unless he's making that up. But it's kind of unsettling. Like, I mean, in addition to the fact that an elf is hiding inside of a taxi driver and murders them for no reason, right. it's unsettling to me that Francis doesn't get a name until the very last panel and is considered almost part and parcel of Charles Wizzo Lester. Mm -hmm. Let's give her a nickname. So he's Wizzo. What's Francis? I'm going to go ahead and say she probably took Wizzo's last name. What's Francis Lester's nickname? I wonder if it's something that rhymes with Wizzo. I'm thinking it's Fizzbang. Fizzbang? Why? Yep. Why? I think it just pairs nicely with Wizzo. Wizzo, Fizzbang. Wizzo and Fizzbang. Yeah. Okay. I'll allow it. Okay. Sustained. <laughs> so yeah, Elf with a Gun murders uh, Wizzo and Fizzbang. <laughs> <laughs> they do look appropriately horrified before they're murdered. Yeah, which is fair. But when Fizzbang says, I'm frightened... The elf with a gun says, that's the first intelligent thing you've said all night, Francis. And that's not true. Because when they are leaving the casino, she is reprimanding Wizzo for wanting to continue to gamble. And she has stopped him from gambling away the money that they need to spend on their ticket home. Mm -hmm. Back to Muskogee. And that is a very intelligent thing for her to have done and said. It is portrayed as though she is just a nagging shrew. But I think that is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. And... Good for her for stopping Wizzo from having them stranded in Vegas with no money. I mean, granted, the outcome would have been the same. I think either way, that elf's going to murder him. But why? Why indeed. Do we ever find out why the elf murdered John Denver? Nope. Uh, we never know why he murdered John Denver and his blow-up doll companion wife. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't know why he murdered Wizzo and Fizzbang. And we don't know if there's some connection between John Denver, the blow-up doll, mm -hmm. Wizzo, and Fizzbang. We may never know. We may not. Then again, it may all be tied together in a neat little package. And maybe inside of that neat little package is an elf with a gun. Oh, I don't care for that one bit. It's an ugly, mean-spirited, murdering little elf. Yes, I am opposed to him. Why can't you be more like Legolas? Yeah, there's an elf. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to touch on in the issue proper before we get into the minutia? No. Well then, Rick, would you please sing us into the minutia? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Cory eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Sartorially speaking, 
Which instances of fashion in this issue do you feel are worthy of note? I'm going to start with one I don't like one bit, which is... I get he's supposed to be an elf, and elves dress a certain way, like an Irish, like, I have gold at the end of the rainbow kind of elf. Oh, Corey, that's a, a, a leprechaun, or leprechaun, if you will. Like a uh, kind of Irish elf, but that's what this guy is dressed like, no? I'm thinking they're going for a Santa's village elf. Oh. Which I... Those are similar, no? Or did I just make up a picture of a, what did you call it? A leprechaun? Oh, Lukerpan. Lukerpan. Oh. <laughs> Is that the proper pronunciation? I have no idea. Oh, okay. <laughs> I feel like it might be. All right. I feel like it might be. I did read a certain amount of books by one Esther Frasier, uh, and I believe that it came up, but it was also spelled out phonetically, but not spelled out phonetically, if you catch my drift. I know you lost me a little bit. Yeah, that's understandable, because I didn't know what I meant when I said it. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I think it was spelled out in the traditional Irish spelling of the word, but I don't know if that is the phonetic pronunciation of it. Oh, some of the Gaelic stuff is very not at all phonetic, at least for the way that I read our, yeah, you know, ab- the Latin alphabet. Absolutely, and and Welsh is also just like, what what is happening with this word? Yeah, yeah, those are, those are two of them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, one of the other creatures, uh, mythological creatures that I have no idea how it's pronounced is like, the Signi Bean? Signi Bean. Yeah, it's the Signi Bean, okay. which is a, a washerwoman who you see washing bloody clothes by the river if you're about to die, and then you realize that they're your clothes and they're covered with blood. I don't like that. No. Is that Welsh or Irish? I think Irish. I was thinking of going to Ireland at some point, too, but... You just stay away from rivers. Oh. Stay away from rivers anyway. They got those uh, water horses there. They'll, uh... What? Water horse? Yeah, they'll, like, turn into a pretty blonde dude and, uh... <laughs> and try to fuck you, but then they'll murder you. Dude, you're not selling Ireland very well, friend. <laughs> Sorry. I kind of want to go there, too. Not for that reason. <laughs> but you gotta have a handkerchief in your back pocket. Right, right. That says you're into water horse stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Moving along. <laughs> so you didn't like Elf with the Gun's clothes? No. No, I didn't. For I don't a... think he looked like a leprechaun. It's it's green, and he's small, and he's got red hair, but there's no a hat with a buckle. I kind of pictured one being there, but you're right. It was a pointy hat. I'm pretty sure they're going for a straight-up Santa's Village Santa's, thing. Okay. Despite my fuzzy memory of his hat. You're still opposed to it. I don't like him. Okay. Or his green clothing. Okay. What I did like, which was also green clothing, was the carnival man's getup with the little the bow tie and the what do you call those hats? Like the it's a straw boater, I believe. A straw boater hat. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed that too. As a as a nice panel you got of that dude with his tagline, "The bear don't care." <laughs> that there were two different dudes. They're dressed the same because that's like the carny uniform. The first guy is the guy that Jack wins the rabbit in the sh- oh, like sharpshooting contest. Right, right, and. We see a full close-up panel of him. I don't recall carnival folks having matching outfits. No, the 70s were a different time. I think they now just have t-shirts that they wear. Yeah, see, the first dude, I like his look a little bit better just because it looks like he's got a pencil-thin mustache, dapper Dan look. I like what he says less because he's like, congrats, sweetheart, that's some sharpshooter you got there. 
And Val responds by saying, I am puzzled by this casual use of weaponry for amusement. I find it somehow unsettling. As if, and I really like that. I really like that characterization of Val. I must say, I also like the Carney's response. I don't like the nicknames that he gives to Val and Jack. Mm -hmm. But I do like the, ye gods, an intellectual. Look, doll, your boyfriend won your little friend to cuddle. Enjoy it in good health and move along. Mm-hmm. I like Ye Gods as an exclamation. I watched The Music Man recently, and there is a, uh, a young teenage girl who uses that phrase constantly in that. And also, my grandpa used to say that. That's a old-timey sounding phrase. Yeah, so pretty good. Mm. Pretty good on that carny. But yeah, I like his outfit, too. He's got a red and yellow striped band on his straw boater, red bow tie, green button-down shirt. And we see that the uh, <laughs> the other carny has the same outfit, and we'll get to that carny's dialogue. In a bit. Okay. The other fashion that I felt was worthy of note was the uh, getup of Wizzo himself. That's a loud shirt. It is. It is like a fluorescent pink and magenta giraffe pattern of a button-down shirt, and then he is wearing a pork pie hat with a very wide hat band. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, the really just the hat band and shirt combo on Wizzo... Very evocative. Evocative of what? Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, and he's got a, a big belly, a dewlap. And a stogie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, he's got it all. <laughs> that fizz bang is one lucky lady. Ay ay ay. Well, then, seeing as we've touched on some of it already, what were your favorite words? There were a lot of good bits of kind of the exposition or descriptive dialogue Mm -hmm. in here. And one that just kept coming back to me was from the beginning, that really cool dream sequence where the disembodied arm of Trish Star is crushing Kyle and then drops him into this abyss. Mm -hmm. And the description of that is dropped him like a hot winged potato. And I don't know why that just... Just imagining like a little hot potato with wings <laughs> flapping around and it cracked me up. Oh, I thought it was a potato that had been stuffed with hot wings. Oh. <laughs> you know, a hot winged potato. I think you have just stumbled upon Barfu genius, my friend. Aha! You're welcome, culinary world. <laughs> uh, but I owe it all to Steve Gerber. I liked that too. I loved the description of Las Vegas that he had. Which, when we first... Biting criticism. It really is. When we go to the depiction of what happens in Las Vegas, the caption work at the start says, Strange interlude. The Strip in Las Vegas. Garish monument to obdurate middle age. Where Sammy Davis Jr. is still considered with it. Where with it is still considered current slang. Where bald men with beer guts from Oklahoma vacation for a taste of the swingin' life. Does not like... Bald man from Oklahoma with beer guts. He does not, but I must say, having been there somewhat recently, not an inaccurate description of the strip today, mm-hmm. let alone in the 70s. Little unnecessary on the Sammy Davis Jr. bashing. I am a huge Sammy Davis Jr. fan, and in the 70s, I actually thought Sammy Davis Jr.'s stuff that he was doing then was great. He did a cover of the song Vehicle by the Ides of March, which I love, that was fantastic. Very with it very with it i love that touch though i love that he uses the phrase with it in quotation marks and then you can almost see the writing process and it's one that i do where he's like as soon as he wrote it he's like oh and uh i'll go back and 
take a little dig at what I just said, but it flows really seamlessly, and I, I liked that a lot. The writing in this whole comic was good. It really was. It, it feels like maybe taking an issue off, and we got the Bill Mantlo issue before it, which was fine, a little bit clunky, and you felt like Mantlo was still finding his legs as a writer. This is significantly better, I think, than the other Steve Gerber issues that we've had, and it's like he's found his voice with these characters and maybe taken a little bit of time or possibly had some editorial reins removed from him and uh, really given a little bit of space to explore what he wants to do with the characters and with the book, and it's good. Yeah. My other favorite words come from Valkyrie, and it's her conversation both with Jack Norris and with the Carney Barker. You mentioned already Jack Norris gives her a stuffed rabbit and says, I take it you're not overwhelmed with your prize? And she says, mine? But you earned it with your marksmanship. And what need has a warrior woman for a cloth representation of a rabbit? Pretty great. Then Jack does one of those hit the bell with the hammer and it'll tell you what a strong, strong man you are. Mm -hmm. And he rings the bell and a different Carney Barker goes, what a champ, what a muscle man. Bet you're proud of this, Joe, ain't you, cutie? And Val's response is, his name is Jack, not Joe, and mine is Valkyrie, not... And the Barker cuts her off, and he seems like a real asshole, but I do love the phrase, skip it, the bear don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and he's in the process of handing the prize, which is a... A stuffed a, bear. A stuffed bear. Yes, I probably should have mentioned <laughs> that. He just calls himself the bear. <laughs> how he refers to himself. Oh boy, I wonder if that is also what's happening. The bear don't care. And then she smashes the game to bits with her own mighty prowess and says, if I understand the working of these games, you now owe me an animal. Isn't that correct? And Jack's like, run! Yeah. And then we get, he starts being an asshole and saying like, come on, I'm your husband. Stop acting like this is our first date. He does correct himself from calling her Barbara and calls her Val, which is a step in the right direction. But come on, man, we've been through this shit. And she goes on, and this is, I think my favorite speech in it. But she says, Must we have this discussion yet again? I inhabit your wife's body, Mist Jack, because she had been calling him Mr. Norris. Mm -hmm. But I am a wholly different persona, created to lay bare man's foolish notion of his superiority to woman. Boon or curse, that is my nature, and you must accept me as I am. And he goes, Is that right, asshole? And she goes... <laughs> I find myself attracted to you of late, Jack. You've displayed far more character than I would have once. And then he cuts her off and says, no more lectures. And I'm like, God damn it, Jack, I wanted to hear her lecture. What a fool. <sighs> what a, a damn fool. Oh, boy. He's a real piece of shit. A real shitty fool. Mm-hmm. He's a real shit-encrusted fool. Ugh. Yeah, the worst kind. Ah. He's no hot potato stuffed with buffalo wings no he's not no he's How a they turd stuffed with smaller turds wrapped in a fool mm. rolled in poop yep. <laughs> <laughs> but as i said despite the fact that i do not like that val is attracted to jack norris for whatever reason i like the way that she acknowledges it and states it and is just very self-assured in her reasoning and her interactions with him. Yeah, yeah. Other than the fact that she's hanging out with the dude, she's written more like I would like her to be written in this issue yes. than, than many previous. I think in any than in any previous for the most part. It's good. Corey, in this issue, what was your favorite sound effect? 
I had a toss-up. Okay. And I think I'm going to go with the one because I don't like Kyle very much. That's him flying into a branch and hitting his head on it. And it goes, crack! That's fair. There are a couple of people hitting their heads on trees and making the noise crack. Was it tied with the other one? Because there's also a hunter running his head into a tree and making the noise crack. Uh, no, that was a little too, like... He did, the Hulk did just straight up murder those hunters. It was a little too murdery for me to appreciate in that way. But that entire page, the artwork with the exposition of each of the the states of being and then not being that the hunters go through was super well rendered. And the fact that Hulk straight up just runs up, grabs the dude, throws him with such force that he skips him like a rock across the pond Mm -hmm. into a tree that destroys him is... Pretty great. It's very violent, but it's very well stylized violence. Yes. But you like the crack of Kyle hitting his head on a tree branch? Yep, and falling down, because it reminded me a little bit of a big dumb bird flying into a window. <laughs> Which I always feel bad when that happens. But yeah. then I was thinking of that bird being Nighthawk, and then I just started <laughs> giggling to myself. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I think my favorite sound effect is spoing. The noise <laughs> that it makes when a false taxi driver is stuffed to the brim with Elf with a gun. And the the elf reveals himself, the head pops off, and it makes the noise. Spoing. Spoing. Corey, in this issue, what was your favorite panel? I'm glad you asked. There were so many good panels in this issue. There really were. It is back to Sal Buscema on art, and he's inked by Jim Mooney on this. And it's not, like, standout the way that a lot of George Perez's stuff is, but I... I really enjoy Sal Buscema's style, and it's got a good storytelling flow to it, and certain panels stand out as being very dynamic. Yeah, and per that dynamism, pretty much all of page 14 I appreciated. Uh, this is the one that basically I talked about already, where Hulk gets really mad and kills the poachers. Yeah, let's just walk through the page really quickly. So we see the hunter shoot at the Hulk, and the caption reads, Speechless. Then he snatches a gun from one of the hunters, and it says defenseless. Then he wraps the gun barrel around one of the hunter's necks and twists it into a knot, and it says breathless, which is your first clue that that dude is dead. Mm -hmm. Then it says shameless, as you see him pick up another one. Helpless, he hoists it into the air. The shameless, though. Oh, shameless is, yes, him disposing of his recently murdered hunter. No, no, no. I think the shameless is the hunter that is the one that just saw his buddy got totally killed, is, like, begging shamelessly for his life. I bet he pees himself. Oh. He looks like he's peeing himself. Yeah, active peeing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then you see the Hulk pick up the peeing hunter, and it says, helpless, and then flinging him across the water, skipping him like a stone. As he's skipping him across the water, it says, hopeless. And then it skips him across the water and smacks his head into a tree. And there's a lot more words here, but it ends with painless. Yep. Which I think they're trying to say is that he is knocked out immediately. But almost certainly it is he is dead. Yeah, I read that as a painless death. Yeah. Although being skipped across the water like a stone, having been thrown by the Hulk, is, if nothing else, psychologically extremely painful. I gotta say, I I have never heard the description of, I just want to die a swift, painless death, having just peed myself being thrown across a lake headfirst into a tree. That's how I hope I go. Or in my sleep. One of the two. One of the two notoriously painless deaths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, all that said, amazing artwork, super mm-hmm. dynamic. 
I'm going to go with something a little lighter, and okay. that's on the preceding page, and we talked about it already, is the whole peering through those trees and watching the, the deer mama and the baby deer, and he just looks so delighted. I had a similar thought. That that was my first thought for favorite panel. I had a backup in case you took that one, uh, because I would like to have some diversity of panel in this, mm -hmm. but yeah, no, it's he looks so sweet and so just delighted. And just blissed out, really. Mm -hmm. Speaking of blissed out, my favorite panel is Pill Poppin' Nighthawk. Which is when Shandu is engaged in his mystical battle with Doctor Strange. He just starts popping pills and saying, The mind-amplifying drug Jerry Morgan created for me. There's weird cosmic little dots in the background because they're fighting on some kind of an astral plane. It's Shandu, but it looks like just Nighthawk tossing pills in his mouth tripping balls. Um, and tripping balls to make himself better at battle. Mm -hmm. And it's just a cool looking panel. It's the kind of thing that you can see ending up on some like show flyers or something in the 90s. Oh yeah. It's uh, good stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think I'll go with that as my favorite, although I too was absolutely enchanted by the Hulk. Good call. Speaking of finding certain defenders enchanting, Corey, who was the best defender? And conversely, who was the worst offender? Starting with best defender. Oh, shit, man. This is I wrote down three, and I think they're pretty much in the order that I want to give it to them in. Okay, I also wrote down three of them, too. <laughs> and had, like, I at one point wrote a little star next to one of them. Yeah, so... Let's talk it through. Ah, I'm torn, man. I'm kind of torn, too. So, the Hulk. Yeah. So, next to the Hulk, I wrote Compassion. Saves that baby deer. He saves that baby deer. Or... He kills those hunters. It's sweet. It's a very sweet murder. <laughs> the sweetest we got. Sweetest double murder I've seen in a long time. Then, we have Steve for skill and efficiency. He does a great job in this issue. He doesn't fuck up, really. No. I mean, he's annoyed when uh, his... <laughs> Making the flame ghost fuck is interrupting. Which, but who wouldn't be? Yeah, you can't <laughs> ding him for that. And then we have Val for what I wrote as autonomy slash self-confidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had essentially the same thing. I had Val before Steve. So I had it, I had it, Hulk, compassion, Val, autonomy, Steve, effectiveness. Yeah. Was my... So I'm going to eliminate Steve from the consideration for me. Because of a single scene in which Shandu as Nighthawk zaps Valkyrie riding Aragorn and they stop start getting weaker <laughs> and start falling true. to the ground. And Valkyrie is like, Doctor Strange, we are starting to fall. And he basically says, Okay, good luck with that. I'm gonna fight. Yeah. <laughs> what do you say? Like, try and land safely. Yeah, let me find it exactly. <laughs> Steven, his sorceress burst, draining our strength. Aragorn cannot bear our weight. Falling. And Steve's response is, Try to land safely then, and leave this battle to me. So helpful. <laughs> We're falling. Yes, good luck with that. Yeah. Yeah, classic strange. Yeah. Uh, so as much as that is in Steve's wheel well and a well-written character developing moment, I can't give him the best defender because of that. That's so that fair. brings us down to... Val, and the Hulk. Yep. So the Hulk did commit a double homicide in this issue. Yeah. 
And Val, while she is good about stating her boundaries, is not super good about enforcing them. So, which way are you leaning? I'm going to go uh, compassion through double murder. Yeah, I think me too. Okay. Way to go, the Hulk. <laughs> all right, Hulk. Good job, buddy. Yeah, although, as I said, all three of them turned in a really, really strong performance. Indeed. Conversely, and I think I see which way you might be leaning on this, <laughs> who was the worst offender? Well, when it comes to flying into branches real hard for having guilty dreams about a shitty thing you did. Well, he's the best there is at what he does. And what he does is fly into branches while having bad dreams. And that is Kyle Rich. That is good. I still had Nighthawk, but I decided to go with the Chandu Nighthawk. Oh, interesting. I mean, it's a little bit of a stretch, but Chandu does a terrible job. He was really punching above his weight, or attempting to, yeah, but didn't... Yeah, fighting out of his weight class. Didn't seem to realize it until too late, and then he, yeah. then he just got his ass kicked. Yeah, and so really for that and for just horrible spycraft... Like, not even making an attempt to behave like Kyle would at all, but just wandering around being like, oh, that's weird. I'm going to show off how smart I am at ancient mystic shit. Dumb. Dumb. Dumb as fuck. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, I I mean, whether or not he's really a defender, kind of debatable. Uh, I went with Chandu Nighthawk. That's fine. You you went with Kyle Nighthawk. Mm -hmm. Either way, bad job, Nighthawks. Wow. Interesting. This is we don't often have the same. There's a little variety. Yeah, yeah, but but, but it's pretty pretty strong overlap on these. In this issue, who had to be a sucker? Who had to behave mm. like the fat boys in Crush Groove, and act in a way that was contrary to their previously established character or motivation in a way that furthered the plot? Who just had to be a sucker? Yeah, this one was a little tough because well, I went with Val. Okay. And, and the reason I went with Val is because it did seem like she was putting up with a little more uh, Norris bullshit than I thought she should. Yeah. But, you know, you also touched on she can make her own decisions, and she thought, hey, I'll give it a shot. The guy seems like maybe he's taking his head out of his ass. Yeah. Yeah, um, and and I, I did like the, like, I find myself attracted to you, and I like that she expressed it in that way and is being much more self-assured than the character we've seen written a lot of late who is unsure of her own identity and that manifests itself in a kind of deep-seated insecurity. And and I like this establishment of her better, although it is out of character for the way that she's been written as well. Mm-hmm. Yep, so that was my sucker. Okay, I went with Chandu because we have previously seen him be a fairly competent mystic. Like, when he took Jerry's drugs, he was able to take over the subconscious minds of the entire city of New York and drive them to madness with the invisible black rain. Which, I'm sorry, but if it's invisible, how do you know it's black rain? It's like a real rainbow in the dark situation there. Oh. So, I decided to go with Chandu. Just because it seems like this go-round, he's a real dum-dum. And I hadn't gotten that vibe off him before. Mm -hmm. Fair. Thank you. You're welcome. We all know that the Hulk rules, but in this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? In this issue, the Hulk's rules were poaching bad. Okay, so your entry in the Hulk's rules is poaching bad. I think that is fair and a good rule. Thank you. The Hulk's rule that I came up with was Hulk's rules is pet ownership is a big responsibility. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, get some help if you don't know what you're doing. Exactly. And good for you, the Hulk. He's absolutely right. Pet ownership is a big responsibility. Yeah, don't just leave that baby deer in the backyard or whatever yeah no you he understands that he doesn't necessarily have the resources to care for this so he seeks out somebody who does but he is still going to attempt to take care of this deer himself good for you the hulk good job buddy i am glad we chose you as the best defender you've earned it i think all that leaves us with is Corey. in the year of our lord 1976 and the month of our lord january What's wrong with this picture? Well, it was cold. It's January, you know. Sure. Cold outside, wintry. Mm-hmm. It's a nice night to just chill out at home and mm-hmm. maybe hide in the other room while uh, Steve's, Steve's making the thing. flame ghost fuck. Yep. It's enough of that. I'm gonna turn up the TV real loud. It's not coming in. Long as over there, whacking the side of the TV, gets it to work, and uh, then he just settles in for for a nice night with a double header of good old fashioned information. In the form of the premiere of the McNeiler News Hour on oh, PBS, ho, ho. gets in his world events, learns about some stuff that was going on, and then needs to follow that up because you know it's kind of a heavy, heavy time in the seventies. Lots going on. Um, follow it up with uh, some good entertainment and sees on uh, ABC later NBC the premiere of the Bionic Woman. Well, well, well. Yeah. So just a mellow night in, hanging out on the couch, That's watching very nice. some news, watching some action science fiction shows i think also laverne and shirley premiered that month which i thought you were going to go with when you mentioned television first of all because i know that you mentioned them last week that's right but uh yeah good for wong it's nice he deserves a little bit of a break especially given what is about to happen later on in the month because on the 26th of january wong decided to head out on the town and engage in a little uh high stakes gambling yeah, yeah, Wong has a gamble tooth. I think that's the Is phrase. That what people that's say. what people say when somebody likes gambling. They've got a real gamble tooth. A gambler's tooth. No, a gamble tooth. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a like a tooth that like hangs out over one lip. Yeah, oh, it also hangs out over pool halls. <laughs> Dog tracks. Dog tracks and ping pong parlors. What? Yes, sir. Wong was engaged in some high-stakes ping-pong hustling. Dang. So he, uh, he rolled into a ping-pong den, such as New York in the 70s was rife with. Sound of balls. Clanging around. Bouncing everywhere. <laughs> Indeed. And he picked, he picked himself out what he believed was quite a pigeon. A, uh... What's in the, for those of us not in the know, what's a, what's a pigeon for somebody with a gambler's tooth? Oh, uh, well, if you've got a real gambler's tooth, then you know a pigeon is someone that you can pluck a little bit of money off of. Ah, oh, like a mark. Yeah, yeah, a real mark. Okay. So, he sees a, a young but already balding young man really professing his ineptitude at ping pong, and Wong's like, all right, here I go. And Corey, hmm. Wong got owned. Oh, no. See, that young man was Jonathan Katz. The and- Jonathan Katz? Yes, of... Dr. Katz, professional therapist. (laughs) Oh, not Dr. Katz, ping pong champion? Well, both, actually. That's the thing. I see. Uh, Jonathan Katz, along with a certain friend of his, used to, in the 70s, hustle people at ping pong up and down the eastern seaboard because Jonathan Katz 
was a junior New York State ping pong champion. Mm. You want to know who that friend was? And the person who roped Wong into the game? Was it Paul Newman? No, not that good. But still pretty good. Okay, who was it? David Mamet. What? Yeah. David Mamet and Jonathan Katz are best friends, and they used to hustle people at ping pong in New York. That's crazy. One of the people that they hustled was Wong, Hmm. and Wong took it in good cheer, despite Steve's myriad of faults. One of them is not that he is ungenerous as an employer. Hmm. So Wong's doing okay financially. He could take the hit. And he and Mamet struck up a friendship. He instilled in David Mamet, David Mamet's lifelong fascination with the martial arts. Including Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I know. And (laughs) David Mamet gave him tickets to the Broadway premiere of American Buffalo on January 16th, (laughs) 1976. And that is what was wrong with that picture. Dang. I'm always amazed how you can work the Broadway shows into <laughs> into these things. I can never figure it out. Well, it's just, uh, I snuck a peek at Wong's diary. Ah, uh, sneaky. Yeah. Real sneaky Pete yeah. with a bit of a gamble tooth. Oh, <laughs> not me, man. I don't care for it. Good for you, man. I'm bad at it. Yeah, I'm bad at it, too. I'm worse. You know that. You and Lee took all my quarters that one yeah, time. Yeah, we really plucked you, pigeon. <laughs> like a... Sad, sickly pigeon (laughs) with no quarters. Sorry. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us, listeners. This was a lot of fun. It was nice to get back to a regular-sized comic book, frankly. Sure was. And, yeah, I'm really excited to see what the future holds in store for our brain-transplanted Kyle and the rest of the Defenders as they run up against the Headmen. Hmm. Who, in many ways, I think are the defining villains of Steve Gerber's Defenders run. And yeah, I I think this should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in two weeks. And I'm excited to see what happens next week in the new Teen Titans. Likewise. Cool. Well, I'm gonna go make these flame ghosts fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Dismiss! And they knew it! Spider-Man and the Kidnap Caper. Back just in time to catch the phone. Maybe some clue on Aunt May's whereabouts. Bring, bring. You've kidnapped my Aunt May? What for? She's never hurt anyone. For $50,000, that's what's for. Get us the dough. You'll never see your aunt again. The kid is scared stiff. Betcha he's here with the money on the next plane. Imagine, anyone... Willing to pay $50,000 for this old goat? Hey, look. Parker sent Spider-Man. I couldn't raise the ransom, but I've got something in this case the kidnappers will love. By the time they've found out I've tricked them, Aunt May will be miles from here. You gentlemen will find something you want in this case. Meanwhile, Aunt May and I will duck out of here. Well, I'll be. He tricked us. This case is full of hostess Twinkies. I love that golden sponge cake and the delicious creamy filling, but I was really looking forward to some delicious money. And then Spider-Man came along and rescued me. He gave the kidnappers nothing but Twinkies. (laughs) 
That means Spider-Man has a great sense of humor as well as excellent taste. You'll get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Twinkies. Okay, a couple of things about that. Yeah. First of all, is that crook saying that he likes to eat money? He likes the delicious money. And he's calling Aunt May a goat. Come on. He's the goat if he's eating money. Yeah, goats will eat anything. Yeah. And also, as Spider-Man, when he rescues Aunt May, he speaks aloud and calls her Aunt May. Mm. Bad job. He's been taking secret identity lessons from Kyle. Or Starfire. No, he doesn't even wear sunglasses in this. Oh, Spidey. (laughs) 